welcome to the Rookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our executive pastor, David Hardy, will continue in our series going through the book of Colossians. You can follow along with this message by opening up your Bible or your Bible app to Colossians 1.18. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or our Brookwood Church app. Pray that Jesus is the first name we call each day and in every situation. Now, why would I say that? Hopefully, we'll get some more insight today as to why we call Jesus first as we continue our study through the book of Colossians. In case you're new, my name's David Hardy. I'm one of the pastors here, and I hope you'll join me in praying for our senior pastor, Perry Duggar as uh, he's taken a few weeks to study and to seek God uh, as to what God would want him to teach, would want us to focus on uh, this next fall and uh, the next year. Uh, So why don't we take a moment to pray for him right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for the ways you, you want to work through us, and I pray that right now you would work in Perry, that you would speak Uh, in his mind, that you would put your thoughts in his mind, and we look forward to how you're going to work there. And also, Father, we pray that you would speak to us today, that you would share with us what you want us to know and help us experience your love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Uh, today we're going to be talking about Colossians 1. We're going through Colossians, and we're in verses 15 through 23. That's the focus passage for today. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to take that out and find that passage in your Bible and get out your message guide so you can follow along. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, we have this New Living Translation in our bookstore upstairs. Um, And if you don't have the money to buy one, just pay what you can and just tell the bookstore to charge the rest to David Hardy. Or you can uh, download the Bible app on your phone and you can read the Bible that way. So we've been in Colossians. We believe that Colossians is a letter written by Paul, who was a key leader in the early church. Uh, We think that Paul wrote this while he was imprisoned in Rome, and he wrote the letter to the followers of Jesus in the town of Colossae. Now, two primary reasons Paul is writing this letter. Uh, One, Paul's writing to help the Colossian people understand that Jesus is not one of many gods, which would have been the prevalent thought in the Roman culture of that day, but he's emphasizing that Jesus is the one God. And Paul's also writing to help the uh, Colossian people see that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is sufficient to reconcile them with God. There was a lot of Jewish influence in this church um, where they may have been encouraging them to uh, follow other laws, do other things in order to get into the good graces of God. But Paul is trying to show that Jesus Christ is sufficient in himself uh, to reconcile them with God. So really the summary of this book and the summary of today's message is that Paul is promoting the supremacy 
and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Now, before we get into verse 15, I want to look back at the two verses uh, that we ended with last Sunday, verses 13 and 14. So if you would uh, just follow along with me as I read. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. It says, For he, for God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Some versions add, who purchased our freedom with his blood. So Paul is reminding these followers of Jesus in Colossae that God has rescued them from the kingdom of darkness, a place where we serve our own selfish desires, uh, which ultimately ends up in death, ends up in a separation from the life that God would have us live. He said, God's transferred us from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son, where we can now live under the rule and guidance of Jesus Christ and experience the transformed life that He wants us all to have. Now, the people of Colossae could have asked, and some of you might ask, why? Why would I want to live in the kingdom of Jesus? Why would I want to live under the rule of Jesus Christ? What gives Jesus the right to be king? Why would I want to put Jesus first? And then they could have asked, why is it so significant that Jesus died for me? There have been plenty of people who have died to give us freedom. So how is Jesus' death different? And there have been other people who have forgiven me. Why is it so significant that Jesus forgave me? And so kind of the bottom line question that I think Paul is answering here is why is Jesus' death so significant that it gives me freedom to live an eternal life and my sins could be forgiven? So Paul anticipates that question. And he explains what's so significant about Jesus and why Jesus is number one, whether we put him first in our life or not. And so here's why I believe Jesus is first and why putting Jesus first brings a transformed life. So first, why put Jesus first? Because Jesus is the God who created everything. Jesus is the God who created everything. Paul begins by explaining that Jesus is the God, verse 15. He says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ displayed a visible picture, a concrete picture of the invisible God. Jesus puts a face on the invisible God who exists everywhere. And Jesus shows us the exact likeness of God. Now, I assume most of you have played hide-and-seek sometime in your life. Anybody never played hide-and-seek? Okay, most of us have experienced hide-and-seek. And I can remember as a child and uh, as a parent when I played hide-and-seek with my kids, there were times when I hid so well that they never found me. And so eventually, you know, I got tired of, of sitting, you know, 
under the house or in that closet or wherever I was and just came out and said, here I am. You know, I wanted to, to end the game. I, I, though, I, though I wanted to hide, ultimately I also wanted to be found. And the truth about God is that God wants us to seek him. God wants us to, to look for him, to pursue him, but he doesn't want to hide. He, he wants to be found. The goal of his relationship with us is for us to know him. And so in Jesus, he basically said, here I am. He revealed himself to us through the person of Jesus Christ because he wanted us and wants us to know him. He put on human skin to help us see what he's like, to show us his attributes. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that the Son, Jesus, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. The Son shows the character of God. But I wanted to read it in a a more literal translation. The New American Standard said that Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. He's the exact representation of God the Father. So Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the visible image of the invisible God. Now someone might ask, well, weren't Adam and Eve also made in God's image? Genesis 1:26 says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. This is what God said. So were Adam and Eve the same as Jesus? And Paul seems to anticipate that question. So he goes on to say in verse 15, he existed before anything was created and he is supreme over all creation. So Jesus is distinct from Adam. He's different from Adam because Jesus existed before anything was created. The literal translation of this verse says that Christ is the firstborn of all creation. So that means by firstborn, it means that Jesus is first in regards to time. He's the beginning. He's the origin of life. Life begins with Jesus. He was here before anything was created. It's another attribute of God. So he's first in regards to time. And then if he's firstborn, he's also first in regards to rank. He is overall. He's supreme. He's the top. Back in Bible times, the firstborn had rights and responsibilities that the rest of the children in the family didn't have. The firstborn is often the first to carry the responsibility of the parent's household when they're no longer able to manage their own affairs. And the same is true today. I'm the firstborn in my family. My dad has Alzheimer's. He's not able to communicate. So as the firstborn, it falls to me to manage his affairs, to manage the household. In a similar way, Jesus is responsible for his father's household, which happens to include the universe. And so he is before all things. He's first. And he's over all things. He's in charge. He's supreme. And so if we stop there, there might be another question that the Colossian people might have had, and that is if Jesus is the firstborn, might that mean that he's the first one created? Paul elaborates a little more 
in verse 16. He says, for through him, through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Through Jesus, he created everything. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Some translations add, by him, all things were created. So Jesus existed before all created things. It was by him, through him, and for him that all things were created. Even the angels or the spirits that we can't see were created by him. So Jesus is not an angel. He created the angels. Now, is it just Paul saying this? Well, John, who was one of Jesus' closest followers, also said something similar. John 1, verse 3, he said, God created everything through him, through Jesus, and nothing was created except through him. So he's saying Jesus is the agent of creation. He's the one who created. It happened through him. Paul's trying to emphasize to them that Jesus is God. Now, it's difficult for me to describe how God the Father and God the Son are two different persons and that they created the world together. But I thought of it like this. A few weeks ago, my wife asked me to clear out some of the grass in the yard to make a place for her to plant uh, some plants. And so she spoke that flower bed into existence. But it was through the work of my hands that it was created, and some of her hands as well. So the Father created everything. He spoke the world into existence, but he created everything through the Son. Everything was created through Christ, and everything was created for Christ. He is the one who implemented creation, and he's the object or goal or purpose of creation. He's the reason for creation. It's all for him. Now, did only Paul and John say that? Well, Jesus kind of said it about himself as well. John 8, 58, when he was in court being, being interviewed by the religious leaders, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. I am. I am is the name that God used for himself when he was speaking to Moses. I am that I am, which is basically saying, I have no beginning, I have no end, I just am. I always was, and I always will be. I am. So Jesus is referring to himself as I am, who existed before anything was created. And so Paul sums up this section, just to put the exclamation point on it, verse 17, to sum it up, Paul says, He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Jesus existed before anything else. He's not a creation like us, nor like the angels or other spirits. He is the creator. Jesus is God. And Paul goes on to say that Jesus holds all creation together. I don't know if you've ever done any research on what would happen 
If the earth were just a few miles closer to the sun or just a few miles further away from the sun, what might happen? Life would not be known as we experience it today. Or if the tilt and rotation of the earth was just a few degrees off, what would happen? Or if the combination of the gases in the air were off just a little bit of a percentage, we would not experience life as we do today. There's so many factors on earth that are in just the right balance to sustain life. What if those things were thrown off? Well, Jesus is holding everything together. He's still working. So what, what conclusion do you think Paul wants us to reach about Jesus? What do you think? I know Perry's not here, but I'm still asking you a question. <laughs> what do you think, what conclusion do you think Paul wants us to reach about Jesus? He's God. That's right. He is God. He's more than a man who took on the role of God. He is more than just a son of God. Jesus is God. God is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1 that we just looked at, God said, let us make humans in our image. He used the plural. Now, I don't have an illustration that adequately explains how God is three in one. But I also can't fully explain how neutrons and protons and electrons all make up one atom. And I also can't fully explain how I am body and soul and spirit. And one day my body's gonna be separated from my soul and spirit. But I am glad that I serve a God that I can't fully explain or comprehend until I get to the other side. God is three in one, and Christ is the originator, the unifier, and the sustainer of all creation, and he's still working to hold us together. Now, this is important because there'll come a time, and already is, where our culture will say, well, well don't all religions lead to God? Can't, can't we just say that all of them go to God? But Jesus doesn't allow us to say that. Either we can believe that he is God and the only way to the Father, or he's not. We can't just lump him in with the rest. He doesn't allow us to. Jesus is still working. He is the creator. John 5, 19, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the Son, Jesus the Son, can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So Jesus doesn't act alone. God the Father and God the Son work together. They work in sync. So follow me on this. If Jesus existed before everything and he created everything, and if he is over all, he's in charge of all, and he's holding everything together, and he also consults with the Father before he does anything, why wouldn't I want to touch base with Jesus first before proceeding with any part of my day, before proceeding with any next steps or any plans? 
Why would I not seek Jesus first? But unfortunately, I have to confess that I often jump in without seeking him first. Matthew 6, says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. So if Jesus is the creator, one practical step we can take to acknowledge him as God is to start our day first, to start every situation first by asking Jesus, Jesus, what work are you doing? What work are you doing? Or in the midst of a frustrating situation that's not going according to the plan that you have, ask Jesus, what work are you doing here? Because he's working. He's holding everything together. Jesus, what work are you doing here? Acknowledging that he's in charge and I'm not. So let's stop for a moment and let's ask Jesus that question right now. Let's practice that and just see what thoughts he puts in your mind. Let's pray for a moment. Jesus, we just want to seek you first and ask you, what work are you doing today? Thank you, Jesus, that you're doing the work, and I'm not. So God created everything through Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. But people became separated from God because of their sin. And then Jesus became the God who reconciled everything back to him, which is another reason to put Jesus first. He reconciled everything back to himself. Jesus created everything, which puts him in charge over all creation, But when people were separated from God because of their sin, because of their disobedience, then Jesus died and rose from the dead to reconcile everything back to God the Father, which puts him in charge of those who believe and receive what he did for them. Let's look at verse 18, Colossians 1. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning of supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. Christ is head of the church, which is called his body. We are members of the body of Christ. We were members of the the body of the church. And the head holds everything together. It makes sense, same with us. If there is no head, there's no life. You separate the head from the body, There's no life in the body. A literal translation of this uh, passage is that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. We said Jesus is firstborn of creation. It says he's also firstborn from the dead, which once again refers to time. He's the first to rise from the dead permanently, never to die again. And he's also first as far as rank. He's over the church. He's the head of the church. He's in charge. So he's first in creation. He's also first in the new creation that's reconciled back to himself, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. So why, again, another why question, why was Christ's death effective to forgive our sins and the sins of the whole world? Let's look at verse 19. It says, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, 
And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So he says the fullness of God resides in Christ. So once again, reminding us that Jesus is God. But there's another significance to the fact that the fullness of God resides in Christ. Jesus is fully God. And so he's able to fully reconcile people to the Father. Now the word used for reconcile here has a preposition added for emphasis, uh, which we could translate, uh, we are completely and totally reconciled. And because Jesus is fully God, he was not born with a sinful nature. And so he was able to live a sinless, perfect life. And so he was worthy to die for us. He was worthy to take the punishment for our sins because he had no sin of his own. And so he could take on the sins of the world and die for those. So Jesus was fully God. He never sinned. But it's also important to know that he had a physical body, that he was fully man. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, Hebrews 9.22. So Jesus provided a human sacrifice, a perfect human sacrifice to appease the just Father. Jesus did the complete work of reconciling people back to God the work that no one else could do except for a perfect, fully God and fully man being. He did the complete work, which means that no additional work is needed to give us opportunity for relationship with God the Father. Our step is simply to put our faith and trust in the Jesus who died for us and was raised for us and just rely on what he's already done. Again, we said earlier, a problem in the the Colossian church was that there were many Jews who were still saying, well, you accept Jesus, yes, but there's also laws that you've got to obey in order to appease God the Father. But Paul's saying here, that's not true. Jesus did the complete work of reconciling everything, everyone, back to God. He did all the work. And so Romans 8.34 is a great promise. It says, who then will condemn us? If you've trusted your life to Christ, if you've received the forgiveness of Jesus, if you believe that he died and rose for you, who then can condemn you? And the verse answers it, no one, no one. For Christ Jesus died for us, and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Some versions say, interceding for us. So Jesus continues to plead. He continues to intercede on our behalf before the Father. This reconciling work continues. Jesus is interceding, praying for you today. And so just as Jesus is holding all creation together, Jesus is also holding our relationship with the Father together. Jesus' work continues. So before you pray, anytime before you pray, seek Jesus first. He's the head of the church and ask him what his prayer is. What is he praying? 
and listen for the thoughts that he puts in your mind. So ask Jesus, what's your prayer for me? Start your prayer by asking Jesus, Jesus, what are you praying for me? Because he's interceding for you. So let's take a moment to do that right now. We'll listen in the silence for what thoughts he puts in our mind. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for praying for us. But put, put those prayers in our mind. What is your prayer for me? Thank you, Jesus. Boy, I sense a peace when I do that, when I ask him what he's praying for me. And I don't know if you sensed anything, but this is a good practice. What helps us discern whether we're sensing the words of Jesus or sensing our own thoughts is getting to know the words of God in the Bible to help us recognize the words of Jesus that come in our minds. So we put Jesus first because he created everything. We put Jesus first because he reconciled everything back to God. We also put Jesus first because Jesus is the God who includes me, who includes me. The work of reconciliation by Jesus Christ gives you, each of you, gives me the opportunity to have a right relationship with God, which brings life. The only way we can have that life is in relationship with God. Now, you still have opportunity to reject, but God has done what it takes for you and for everyone to receive him, to be in relationship with him. Verse 21, Colossians 1, Paul said, this includes you, all you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Paul wanted the Colossian people and wants us to know that the work of reconciliation that Christ did was for you and for me because we needed reconciling, because we were enemies of God. The enemies of God is a strong word, but he says all of us who, uh, all of us who've had sinful thoughts, evil thoughts, evil actions, we're separated from him. Has anyone in here, this is one I think we can all participate in, has anyone in here ever had an evil thought? Raise your hand if you had an evil thought. Okay, I'm trying to see if there's anybody not raising their hand. Okay. Evil actions. I think we could raise both hands. Evil thoughts, evil actions. That is what has separated us from God. Even, even a thought would separate us from a just, holy God. He can't partner with sin. There's got to be a punishment. There's got to be a sacrifice. But God sent Jesus to include all of us in the invitation to be reconciled. Even though we were his enemies, he wanted reconciliation. Now, some of you in here, I'd, I'd imagine most of you in here know what it's like to need reconciliation with another person. You may even be experiencing that today. Maybe you've done something to upset somebody else or they've done something to upset you and your relationship is strained. You're, you're not talking or 
or you're having a hard time even uh, being in the presence of that other person. Now, maybe you've gone to that person, you've tried to make things right, you've said, I'm sorry, and you've done all you could to, re- to remedy the situation. But that other person either just won't talk with you or won't forgive you or won't accept your forgiveness that you're trying to give. Even though you're offering forgiveness or asking for forgiveness, you can't experience reconciliation until either that other person forgives you or accepts your forgiveness. Forgiveness just takes one. I can forgive you, but to be reconciled, it takes two. Jesus has done everything needed in order for you to have reconciliation with God. It's available for everyone. It's for you. He's offered his forgiveness, but the reconciliation is only complete when you accept it. John 1 verse 12 says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, talking about Jesus, to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. All I have to do is believe and accept because Jesus has done all the work. Jesus took the punishment you deserve through death to his physical body, a horrible death, to give you opportunity to be reconciled with him. And verse 22 of Colossians 1 tells us the result of that reconciliation. It says, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. He's brought you into his presence. He wants you to know him, to sense his presence. And as a result, you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Jesus Christ brings us into the presence of God where there is life. He wants us to know him, to sense his presence. And then he says, we are holy, we are blameless, no blame. And he goes a little further to say, we are without a single fault. He has made us as if we had never sinned. So positionally, our position before God, when we accept the forgiveness of Jesus, our position before God becomes we are holy We are as if we've never sinned. We are in a right standing with God for eternity. That's great news. Functionally, we are still being made holy. That's the reality. We are are being transformed. The Spirit is transforming us into the likeness of Christ, into the life that He wants us to have and, and that we'll realize fully in eternity. But positionally, we are children of God holy, righteous, set apart. Jesus has done the complete work to reconcile you to God. There's nothing else you can do or I can do to make that reconciliation happen except receive it. By faith, trust that what Jesus says is true and just make him the king of your life. Trust him as the one, the Lord, the master of your life. Lord, you are now in charge of me. And in that moment, we become children of God. We have the right to become children of God. Now, sometimes we, we forget 
what Christ has done. And we, and we live in uh, almost a, a funk, a depression, because we forget what God has done for us. We forget our position as children of God. So how can I continue to experience the life that comes with that reconciliation? That's what Paul's trying to do with these Colossians. He's trying to remind them and be sure they understand this is the position that you have. This is what Jesus has done for you. This is who Jesus is. And so verse 23, he just adds a little more. He says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Other people are going to try to convince you of other things. Continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news that Jesus died for you and rose again and has done all that's needed to reconcile you with the Father, to give you life. And then he says, the good news has been preached all over the world and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. So sometimes we forget what Jesus has reconciled us from. We forget that we were enemies of God and our appreciation can diminish. Remember where Jesus brought you from. And if you're here today and you've never started a relationship with Christ, wherever you are, Jesus wants to bring you from that. He's inviting you into relationship with him. And when we remember where we've come from, it increases our appreciation, it increases our thanks for what he's done and for the relationship that we have. It helps us rely on him more. And sometimes we forget that Jesus did the complete work of reconciliation. And we get the mindset that I've got to do this and do that and do this in order to earn God's favor. I'm his child. I'm his son. And so as I remember that, I want to serve. I want to do things out of appreciation for what he's done. But I want to consult him and do the work that he wants to do through me, not just what I think needs to be done. I want to continue to consult with the Father. We can miss out on the life that God has for us when we forget the love that he has for us, when we forget that he's done the complete work. Jesus died to bring us into his presence, the actual presence of God, and to experience his love, Ephesians 3.19. He says, this is for you, and you, and you. It's for everyone. And there are people all over the world who are being transformed by this Jesus. In other words, he's saying, you're not alone. This is happening everywhere. This Jesus is transforming lives everywhere. So Jesus wants to bring you into his presence, and he wants to give you the life that comes from relationship with him. So how can we remember and recognize his presence? How can we live in that? Hebrews 12, 2 says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates, who gets it started, and who perfects our faith, who keeps on working. He started it, and he keeps on working. So a practical step to help us remember and recognize Jesus is to often ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you want me to know? Because he died to bring you into his presence right there with him. So Jesus, what do you want me to know? What work are you doing? What, what are you praying? What do you want me to know? Because we're all included 
in the invitation to be reconciled and to be in his presence. Now, you may say, I don't, I don't always experience that. I don't, I don't always experience a sense of Jesus' presence or the Spirit, or I don't sense things in my mind that are from God. Well, let's keep asking, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And we're going to take a moment to ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you want me to know? Our care volunteers are, are going to come now. They're going to be at the front and they'll be available to pray with you or talk with you further about how you can experience reconciliation with God through Jesus. But we're going to take a moment now to seek Jesus first and ask him what he wants us to know. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for bringing us into your presence now. Help us to sense your presence. Please place in our minds what you want each of us to know. Jesus, what do you want me to know right now? Jesus, thank you for showing yourself to be God, for creating us, for bringing us back to you, for including each of us in your plan. I pray that you'll continue to speak and to work in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways you can do that is by getting connected at Brookwood. If you want to reach out to us to serve or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or you can call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed week.